from Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning, Parkway. It is all... That's so lovely. Thank you. I got to say, it is so great to be here this morning. I love your pastors, Pastor Call and Jody and Pastor Mitch. You guys just are so blessed to have them. I've been, I've had the opportunity to serve alongside them and minister with them at different retreats and conferences over the years. And I am just literally their biggest fan. So it it feels like I'm amongst family today. So I'm so grateful to be here. Oh, that's fun. I'm just going to fall right through that hole. That's good. That's something I would definitely do. Um, but it's so great to be with you this morning. Like uh, Pastor Mitch said, I am Rachel. I hail all the way from London, Ontario. But it, it seems weird to introduce myself that way these days. I, I've kind of gotten in the habit of introducing myself in terms of zone. So my name is Rachel. I come from the yellow zone. Uh, I hear that you guys used to be in the green zone. So we're welcoming you into the yellow zone on Monday. Welcome. It's great here. Uh, <laughs> but I hope that you guys are all staying positive and uh, testing negative these days. But before I move on, I just want to share a little bit about myself, because I feel like I know you, because I know your pastors, but I don't... I don't think you know me whatsoever. So I want want you to get to know me a little bit more before we dive into the word this morning. So like I said, my name is Rachel. I'm originally from out in Alberta, out west. Uh, West is best, what can I say? Um, But I'm still getting used to Ontario, uh, and mostly the winters. I, I don't like the winter in general, but out west has nice winters. It's really cold, don't get me wrong, but it's like a dry cold. It's great. And then there's these beautiful rocky mountains, and there's so much to see, so much to do. And then when I moved to Ontario, y'all have this thing called the lake effect, which is a fun way or a fancy way of saying, hey, our air hurts here. And I'm like, oh, great. And then not only does the air hurt here, there's no mountains. And you know, we, we say there's mountains, but they're really just larger hills where at the end you get a hot chocolate. And I'm realizing the only chalets we have around here are Swiss chalets, and that's fine. I, I love me some Christian chicken, but it's a little different. But I've had to kind of get used to it, but I've been here for quite a number of years now, and I love Ontario. It has really grown on me, and it is family here, so um, I, I, love, I love this province. I am a registered nurse. 2020 is apparently the year of the nurse, which is just about the most ironic thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but my background is in uh, acute medicine or mental and mental health. Uh, but for the past three years, I've been working in labor and delivery, which is a complete departure from that. Uh, but I like to consider myself as like the welcoming committee to the earth, um, which is really funny, really fun for me. Uh, and and not so fun for the women I'm taking care for. Um, they're like, can you not like cut the cake in the room? We're busy. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but it's been really fun to work through there for the past couple of years. I'm also a pastor. I've had the opportunity to uh, plant a church back in 2016 called Gateway Western at uh, Western University campus. And it was a dream I had since I, I graduated from Western and I, I prayed for it and I believed for it and I had the opportunity to see it happen. You know, I had this vision back when I was in my undergrad of seeing the, the university community center being full of students praising God. 
And we saw this, this church plant grow and grow. We saw students' lives get turned around. We saw people be healed. We saw so much incredible work of the Holy Spirit. And so I just felt so privileged to be a part of that. This is a dream that I had. It was, it was like my life plan to pastor on this university campus for the rest of my life. And then this little thing called uh, COVID, you may have heard of it, happened. And Western University closed its doors indefinitely to outside organizations. And so we had to reimagine what it would look like to worship on campus. And as we reimagined and we began to dream for the next season of the church, it also meant that my position no longer existed. I was crushed at first. This was my dream. This was surely God's plan for me. This was what I was supposed to do. This is, this is what I had planned for my life. This was the way I was supposed to pastor. This was the way I was supposed to reach the, the world for the kingdom of God. Isn't it so interesting that we get so wrapped up in our plans for us that we miss out on God's plans for us because we just neglect to ask him? We can get so consumed with our plans, our desires, that we miss out on the bigger, more beautiful picture that God is wanting to use us for. And in this season, God has, has opened up a whole new pathway of ministry where I'd be able to minister to people that I never would have ever had access to. Because God works in bigger ways than we can ever imagine. I get to be here with you this Sunday, proclaiming the hope and the good news that is in Jesus. So perhaps sometimes stepping into our calling or stepping into the plans of God sometimes means letting go of our plans for us. You know, maybe that's a word for you today. That sometimes stepping into God's plan means letting go of ours. You know, in the grand scheme of things, with all the change happening in the world and all the suffering and all the unrest, you know, the change that happened in my life was pales into comparison. Financial insecurity, physical health, mental health, no one has gone untouched. No one has been unaffected by this pandemic. And I found myself, as I prepared for today, thinking and, and praying, God, what do you want to say to the people of Parkway? Burden me for what is burdening their hearts. And the one question that came to my mind was, when is this going to be over? <laughs> when is this going to be over? So that's actually the title of the message today. When will this be over? But before we launch into anything, I just want to spend some time in prayer. Because my words mean nothing if the Holy Spirit doesn't work this morning. I'm just literally a resounding gong. I could be as inspirational or influential or whatever you want to call it as, as anybody else, but it means nothing. It doesn't change your life unless God gets involved. So would you join me in praying this morning? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that is living and active. God, I, I ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Would you highlight the things that you want to highlight and that help us to receive it in a way that it changes our life forever? Open our eyes that we may see what you are doing. Soften our hearts that we may receive it. And open our ears that we may listen to your voice this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
You know, they tell all young preachers to preach what they know, (laughs) which is very little, I'm realizing. As I get older, I know very little. So I want you to bear with me this morning, because this is something I'm still learning. This is something I don't get right every day. This is something I'm preaching to myself this morning just as much as I'm preaching to you. You know, I'm, I'm very aware that you didn't come here this morning to hear my opinion. If you wanted to hear opinions, you would just log onto Facebook and scroll through them all. So today, I actually just want to dive right into the Word of God and, and, and listen ex- right from there. Is that okay if we just go right to the Word of God and you don't hear any of my stories or opinions or anything? That's, is that cool with you? One person it's cool with. Great. Well, everyone else, you're just going to have to bear with me. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Mark chapter 8. Now, I hear that you guys have been journeying through the book of Mark, which is amazing. We did not plan this, so you just know it's the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they're going to collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. I'm just going to stop there because I want to highlight something. There's this crowd of people that are walking with Jesus. His disciples are, are coming along with him, and, and they, they're physically in step with God. They're walking with him. They're talking with him. And yet they find themselves in a season of without they're hungry. They haven't eaten in three days. You know, never mind three days. If I go three hours without food, I am in a bad way. But these people were hungry. They hadn't eaten in three days. You know, I think in Western culture, we have this really messed up theology or ideology that if we find ourselves in a season of, of without or a season of suffering, we somehow must not be in step with God. That's not what this this text teaches. These people are walking with him, talking with him, experiencing miracles, and they find themselves in a situation where they are without. And yet, they continue to walk with him. The beautiful part is that the story doesn't end there. It says he's compassion on them. He cares for their needs. He cares when they are without I'm not talking about, you know, without our iPhone for 30 minutes. The needs, he cares for these things. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he begins this discussion, which is interesting. And I want you to follow along in verse 4. It says, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Loblaws is closed. Shoppers is closed. There's nothing around. How the heck are we supposed to feed 4,000 people? And Jesus asked, well, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. I just find this so funny because I just imagine they're like literally like arms full of loaves of bread. They're like, how are we supposed to feed these people? I don't understand. When literally just in chapter six, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a young boy's lunch. And they have their arms full of bread. And they're like, I, I just don't know. Beats me how we're going to do this. See, the last miracle was with 5,000. And they ate until they were satisfied. But this time, God doesn't call someone from the crowd to bring forward their bread. 
This time, he turns to the disciples and he asks them how much bread they have to give what they have for the benefit of someone else. Verse 6, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. And I was thinking about, why does Jesus ask the crowd to sit down? You know, why couldn't he just have them like old school communion style and like have them come to the front and make their way in this like horseshoe circle? Why does he ask them to sit down? And I I explored this and, and I studied this. It's because it was a position of humility. It's, just, it's interesting. They couldn't receive provision until they were in the right position. You know, how much in our lives do we spend standing up, running around, trying to make things work for ourselves when God is waiting for us to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and receive his provision? In a posture of humility, receiving his unwarranted mercy. And not only that, he doesn't call the crowd to come get the bread. He asks the disciples to distribute the bread. Did you catch that? See, Jesus does the miracle, but then he asks his disciples to participate. And this is what blows my mind. Because realistically, Jesus, in a moment, could have just made everybody full. But he turns to the disciples and he asks them to participate because this is really more of a lesson for the disciples than anybody. See, Jesus wants the church's partnership. He wants to use us to bless others. But that requires sacrifice. That requires service. That requires obedience. I think Jesus is bursting at the seams to perform miracles, and he's waiting for the church to stand up and participate. Verse 7. They had a few small fish as well. That's convenient. Some fish just appeared. He gave thanks for them, also told the disciples to distribute them. Why didn't the disciples bring the fish with the bread? They had it. You know, you wonder if one of the disciples is like, be cool. We don't tell him about the fish because he's going to give it to all these people. And if God doesn't come through, then we still have our fish. Do you ever think you partner with God 50% of the way? God, I'll give you this area of my life, but just don't touch this part. Because they had the fish the whole time, but it took them to see that God was faithful with the bread to trust him with the fish. Verse 8. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 people were present. After he sent them away, he got into the boat and his disciples went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven and he sighed deeply and asked, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given. He left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. Now, you've probably heard this message a thousand times about the feeding of the 4,000. That's actually not the story I want to focus on today. I want to focus on what happens after the miracle between Jesus and the disciples. Because they've just seen this incredible miracle. They've seen the faithfulness of God, how those who were without have been blessed 
They've seen an incredible circumstance, not just once, but twice through feeding of 5,000 and then 4,000 people. And they saw that they were blessed and not just blessed, but over abundance, collecting seven basketfuls of food that the disciples got to take to Dalmanutha with them. But there's a bit of a snag in this story. They collected seven basketfuls. But what does first, verse 14 start by saying? The disciples had forgotten to bring the bread. You had one job, bring the bread. Except for one loaf they had on the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, because we have no bread. See, the disciples had gotten confused about this mention of yeast because they're thinking, oh, this is 100% about the bread and could not possibly be about us. This is just about us forgetting the bread, no problem, whatever. And it's easier to blame the situation rather than look at ourselves. Because even though it says that they discussed this with one another, the original language, it's better reflected. They were arguing with one another and finding fault with one another as to who forgot the bread. You know, you ever gotten an argument about whether you're arguing or not? That's, I feel like that's how, like, the translators were doing this. It, was, it wasn't an argument. It was a discussion. No, it was an argument that they were having. No, you forgot the bread. You were too busy, you know, putting on those fancy sandals. You are too busy combing your long hair. You forgot the bread. Because it's way easier to come up with like, an excuse or an explanation for our behavior. They were fighting, arguing over whose fault it was. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you still not see? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? I just imagine like putting their hands in their pockets and they're like, 12? I guess. And when I broke seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? How often is that just like us? We're brought out of a hard season. We see the provision of God because he cares for us and we immediately forget And when we face difficulty and obstacle, we panic because our immediate need seemingly isn't being met. We panic and forget all about the faithfulness of God and the power of God. See, the story isn't about hungry people being fed. The story isn't about bread or yeast or gluten or anything like that. The story is about focus. Each time the disciples were faced with an obstacle, they became so focused on the obstacle, on the problem, rather than Jesus. When there's 4,000 hungry people without food, they got so consumed with the problem. How are we going to do this? How are we going to feed these people? There's nothing open around. There's no donkeys or anything. How the heck are we supposed to feed 4,000 people? You know, you just wonder if Jesus is just standing there and be like, did you not just see me feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch? You have seven loaves in your hand right now. Maybe see a connection here? They got so consumed with the, with the problem. They think, this is impossible. Never mind the bread in my hands. Never mind that you just fed 5,000 people. This obstacle is too big. It's impossible. I'm overwhelmed. 
They couldn't see what Jesus was doing. They couldn't see past that one moment in time, that one season, to see that God just might be doing something bigger. Not just feeding people with food. He was here to make blind men see, and the blind men in the story were actually the disciples. They didn't see what Jesus was doing. They were so focused on the problem, so focused on themselves. See, the problem with that is that self-centeredness leads to spiritual blindness. We're so focused on ourselves and on our problems, on the fact that an immediate need isn't being met. We miss what God wants to do with us, for us, and through us. They focused on the problem, and they didn't even see how they could participate. They didn't offer up their bread and fishes. Jesus had to ask How many of us are hoarding our bread and fishes, waiting for Jesus to ask, God, I'll give you whatever you ask me to give you? What would happen if we offered it up and said, Jesus, take whatever I have to use for your glory? What would happen if we stopped waiting for him to ask and just offered it up as a sacrifice? Self-centeredness makes you miss out on participating in the miracle. The disciples, much like us, a lot of the time found themselves wrapped up in the problem rather than wrapped up in the presence of Jesus. Here they were walking with him, talking with him, in step with him, and they were so focused on the problem. Self-centeredness robs you of an opportunity to enter into a deeper intimacy with Jesus. That deep intimacy is a trust a trust that God is going to come through, a trust that God is bigger than our present situation, that he's worthy of praise in famine and in plenty, in virus and in health. He's bigger and better and more deserving of our attention than any of those things will ever be. And that does not mean that we drive our heads into the sand and pretend that nothing's going on around us. Actually, I think it's the opposite. It's asking the question instead of, when is this going to be over? It's asking the question, how can I help? How can I participate? How can I participate in what God is wanting to do through this situation? Trusting God leads us to ask the question, how can I be used to further his kingdom on earth? How can I be a part of the miracle? What can I offer to Jesus? How can I participate with the Holy Spirit in what he's doing around me? Because the truth is, The alternative is exactly what the enemy wants. Distrust of God leads to quarrels amongst the church. When we spend our time arguing, we miss the point. Just like the disciples arguing over who forgot the bread. The enemy doesn't need to do anymore because we're so busy arguing, we don't have time to help people. Pointing the finger Facebook arguments, right versus left. Could it be that none of us have it 100% right? And that this confusion and division is actually the goal of the enemy? We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in remembrance of what he's done for us. When Jesus uses the phrase, do you remember? He's not talking about recalling things from your memory. The original language reflects that it actually means to understand and act upon that knowledge. So if we understand and believe that God has been faithful in the past, 
And we must then act upon that knowledge now and in the future. That means that we believe that God is sovereign in building his church, no matter if we can meet together like this. It means that even when we are without, God is still faithful. Even when we are in a season of suffering, God is still faithful. I think we actually in the Western world have a terrible theology of suffering. This life will not be without suffering. This life will not be without hardship. But that does not negate that God is faithful, God is good, and God is working all things out for the good of those who love him and for his glory. We have to get our thinking straight when it comes to suffering. It does not mean that we're outside of the will of God. It does not mean that we are not in step with him. It means that we live in a fallen world. And all will not be right until Jesus comes back. We are not going to go through life without issue, without need, without suffering. God is still in the business of healing and redeeming. And I, for one, want to act upon that knowledge. And keep the main thing the main thing. There's going to be times when we're without. But I know our God is faithful. A distrust of God leads to fear. Even in seasons where we are without, we have nothing to fear. Just as God provided for the 5,000 and for the 4,000, provision simply means to prepare in advance. God's not going to swoop in like this superhero in the nick of time, you know, like, thank God he showed up. Literally, thank God he showed up. He has planned this out in advance of how he's going to save humanity and provide for us. He has it all worked out. That doesn't mean we're not going to have everything we want and be happy all the time. It means that God is with us. It means he'll never leave us or turn his back on us. It means that we must look to the miracles he has done in our lives and live in remembrance of that knowledge. Not react out of fear, but live in confidence that the goodness of the Lord goes before me. And lastly, a distrust of God leads to purposelessness. We don't place our trust in God. We'll have no idea what to do with our bread and with our fish. Yeah, we might eat well for one day, but we'll miss out on the basketfuls that come after. See, our purpose here on earth is inextricably linked to the purposes that God is working out through all of creation. And when we're connected with God, we're connected to that purpose. I don't think this pandemic has tested our faith. I think this pandemic has revealed our faith. Who we put our trust in, where we place our trust. Our trust needs to be in Jesus and the, and the eternal kingdom he is building. That means come what may, virus or no virus, we can know and live in confidence that our future is secure. I can rest assured that no matter what's happening in the climate or politics or in health, I will be provided for and my soul is secure. I want to choose to focus on Jesus, on his power, rather than the obstacles that are coming in front of me. And instead of arguing and fighting for our rights to do this and that, we need to be focusing our energy on distributing our fish and our bread. How can I serve my neighbor? How can I love on people who are without? How can I use my abundance to show my yes to Jesus? In sickness, in health, in famine, in plenty. 
to show the church is not just a building. This is our opportunity to show the church is not just a building, but it is a body of Christ. So that means that God is wanting our participation more than ever. But if we are just fighting to worship more comfortably than affecting the world around us, Jesus is going to stand in front of us and say, don't you get it? Do you still not understand? So where are you placing your trust today? Is it in your ability or in God's ability? I think it's maybe time to change the question from when is this going to be over to how can I give over myself? Instead of asking, how can I get out of this? How can I give out of this? Just as we reflect on this, and I want to take some time and just have some prayer. I'm going to invite the team to come back up. I know this season has hit so many people in so many different ways. And I believe that God wants to speak to your situation today. Maybe you are in a season where you feel you're without. Maybe this is an opportunity for God to show you how he is your provider. Maybe you have not had to rely on him in that way before. This is an opportunity to grow in intimacy with him. Or maybe you have bread and fish that you are stocking in your home or in your life. And God is convicting you now of of distributing that to the people around you, maybe through your skills, your talents, your abilities. And I want us to ask today, ask God, how can I be used? How can I be used in the community and the world around me to show that you are king, you are good, and that you love people? Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you are still working. You're still a way maker, a miracle worker. Help us to not forget how you have provided for us and led us before. God, bring to our hearts the people that you want us to reach. I pray right now you would put in our hearts and our minds how we can affect those people, how we can love those people, how we can serve those people with our abundance. Would you use us, God? Help us not to just be church on a Sunday, but to take everything from this building and bring it into the community so that people can know you and experience the hope and the joy that we feel in you. God, I think you're bigger than this season and that you're going to see us through. We praise you in and out of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.